in my opinion, a trip is something when everything goes according to plan. An adventure is when things not uh, things can go awry, but you are self sufficient. You're having a ball, and it might be terrible in the moment, but you're still pushing through because the goal is obtainable. So, all in all, type two fun is when the suffering, no matter how much you suffer, the send always outweighs the suffer, and that is type two fun. Friday, July 24th, 2020. Sup, everyone. I'm Paul Clark. Sup, Paul. It is the one-year anniversary. One year ago today, I decided to jump headfirst into an empty swimming pool. I was in Trail, British Columbia at the skate park, and yeah, that didn't quite work out for me. A year-long derailment from paddling, but I'm strong now. I have the range of motion and the strength, and over the last couple of weeks, I've been touring Tennessee and North Carolina, finding some pretty amazing rivers to paddleboard on, including the Nullichucky. Thank you, Jack Nelson, for your gear and your guidance and the community that you are leading out here. In this episode, however, we're talking with Mario Stanley in his home office in Dallas, Texas. He's a rock climber, a coach, a mentor, a business person. We're talking type two fun and preaching the gospel of rock and river. We're also talking about race and access to the backcountry. This is an important conversation. I'm looking forward to it. Without further ado, Mario Stanley. Mario Stanley, welcome to the podcast. Hello, sir. Paul, thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. I'm super happy to be here. Sorry I had to play phone tag a little bit, but we made it. The best things require a little bit of effort. So a couple of reschedules for this podcast and a couple of uh, phone tag messages today means that we're finally on the trail for the Ascension for this podcast. Where are you at right now? I am currently in Dallas, Texas. Uh, This is where I live and work. And yeah, and so... You guys are watching the news. Dallas is doing great as far as Corona goes, uh, but you know, awesome. it's not much climbing, much much things around here. We travel, but uh, I'm fully employed at a gym. I work for Summit Climbing Gyms. I own a guiding company, and then anything else I can really get my hands into. Is Dallas, Texas, known for rock climbing? No, Dallas, Texas, is what <laughs> you would call a flatlander location. Um, and uh, yeah, so we drive anything outdoors outside of like moderate hiking. Uh, actually, there's a lot of good mountain biking here. Like as far as like manufactured trails, there's an organization named Dorba. Uh, they do really, really good with managing a lot of trails. So mountain biking is actually pretty accessible here uh, and biking mm-hmm. is. But other than that, you can do some light hiking, but rock climbing, unless you're willing to drive three hours bare minimum, like that's basically the name of the game. And your 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 job is working indoors at a uh, at a, a sport climbing gym that works on fundamentals, including trad. But it, you're you're a trad guy, aren't you? You like the real rock outdoors. Yeah, uh, I I consider myself an outdoor climber first and foremost. Um, I definitely started in the gym, and then the moment I had the ability to get outdoors, and I realized, well, I was like, okay, this makes sense. Like, you do this to get better for this. But yeah, my preferred style of climbing is this big wall, multi-pitch. Um, I want to do a lot more alpine big wall. I have, uh, I, I've climbed, climbed so much in Vegas, it's, it's retarded. 
but I've climbed most of my big wall experiences there uh, in the Wichita Wildlife Refuge and uh, oh, Quartz Mountain here, in, which is all in Oklahoma. If you want to do multi-pitch, you have to drive to Oklahoma. There's a couple things in Arkansas you can do, but not really. Uh, and then, uh, but yeah, so trad is my thing, but in all honesty, I prefer to just rock climb. Like, like he or she who's climbing the most wins. Uh, yeah, so that's it. But the gym I work at, I am actually predominantly a youth coach. So I coach kids, uh, competitive and non-competitive. And then I also do private coaching, a lot of lesson plan generating, and just coaching and training of ath- of adult athletes. Those are two very different things. I like to distinguish between those. Being a, a leader in the in anything in the outdoor industry starts with uh, motivating the kids. And it sounds like that's what you're doing. That's fantastic. But why Texas? You were raised in the the Northeast. What brings you to Texas? Uh, I originally came to seminary here, actually. I went to Christ for the Nations. Mm. Uh, I thought that, you know, that was the path I wanted to be on. And, you know, uh, a simple way to put it is uh, it just was not my bag. Once I kind of came in, I think once you're like, you know, as you go through life, you kind of have these paradigm shifts. And I really like being around people that are self-reliant and really like to help themselves and really better themselves. And I'm not saying the church doesn't have that. and I'm not saying they weren't people like that, but more people were looking to be led and, you know, kind of the shepherd and the flock thing. And ultimately what I came to the grand conclusion is, is, um, there are people who are really called to do that kind of work. And I just am not that person. I'm, I like, I like running with a comrade. And so I wanted to be around people within their faith and within everything they do that are just more, more self-sufficient. And so that's just kind of the thing that came to me. Well said the, the idea of being a leader and, and, and choosing your own routes and surrounding yourself with people who edify you really is a, is a part of the message that you're presenting to a larger population outside of your gym or outside of your climbing circle. So I, that makes sense now. Thank you for wording it the way that you did. Yeah. Well, yeah, I can't say it any other way. I'm, I'm doing me. I don't know how to do anybody else. Let me, let me congratulate, sir you're doing well. We had the opportunity a couple of years ago to meet on a photo shoot for brand, a clothing brand beyond outside of Seattle, Washington. We were able to get into the North Cascades to, to shoot and to, to, to learn a little bit more about each other. I look forward to being in wild places with you again. And uh, we've, we've talked a little bit, maybe like a, a, a rendezvous, maybe on a paddleboard in, in Texas. I have to say I have some trepidation. I've never been in Texas. I don't know much about it. I have, uh, it's, I have some you know, stereotypes about that place that make me say, huh, is there one paddling and two like, hmm, I don't know about Texas. It's a completely different country. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Texas is weird, man. I mean, you know, coming from the Northeast and coming to Texas, I'll tell you right now, I'm not leaving Texas anytime soon because this place is awesome. I mean, don't get me wrong. The rest of the oh, world great. is awesome. But when you live in Texas and you start living and breeding Texan, there's just something special and magical about this place. And I will admit, as far as a rock climber goes, like this is not the most ideal place to be. But, uh, you know, as far as someone who's also likes to consider themselves an entrepreneur or just someone who just likes to not leave things on the table and take every opportunity, Texas is actually a really great place for that. And if you take the time, you can find it. Um, I'm not saying other places don't, but I think that's really what's kept me here. And Texas has been a place where I could build community uh, at the gyms and basically 
it basically has brought me everything that is happiness in my life so far. So, um, yeah, so that's like, that's it. But to answer your question about getting you to Texas, man, all you got to do is jump on a flight. Dude, really? come on over. Yeah, yeah, we've talked about this. Do you want to get into that idea or talk about it? <laughs> then just do it <laughs> make it happen <laughs> uh and this, this podcast my sub paul podcast is about adventure travel and i think to define how i define adventure travel is make things happen that are beyond your comfort zone beyond the the normal way of traveling which includes booking a, a an airplane flight and your hotel room and your rental car package and and see the the locals who only work at uh, the the souvenir shops you know that's not adventure travel the adventure travel that i am excited about is the the travel that bloodies your knuckles essentially and and makes you potentially not happy at the moment but the the memories are powerful so i need to break out of my stereotype as a pacific northwester and go to texas and send it and feel what it's really like uh to to have the community that you're in and i mentioned the word stereotype and it could even be bigotry i have my thoughts about texas uh which are just stereotype and not reality do you mind me asking you a quick question? Yeah, go for it. Where did you, how yeah. did you come to have those stereotypes? Uh, and Yeah, how did you, like, how did that come to be? Was there a particular moment? I'm just curious because, you know, whoever that was, I'll take, well, my, care, I'll take care of them for you. From my time, it, it came in my time in Alaska. So I, I lived in Alaska, and basically there was this competition between Alaska in, in, and Texas in what's large, what's big, and what's, you know, affluent, and, you know, like, the biggest cowboy hats and the biggest oil rigs and the biggest trucks. And I'm like, I'm not really all, of, uh, like, a, a showcase of big, and it seems like Anchorage and, 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 and Texas are competing with that, and uh, just, you know, like, big buckles and just like every like larger than life type of things and uh you know my aesthetic is a little bit more subtle a little bit more uh i don't know i don't know it's it's just bigotry and i need to travel there to to open my eyes just like what i'm doing right now this i'm sitting in uh my aunt's house in nashville tennessee and i've been really 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 enjoying traveling through tennessee and north carolina and it's just a breath of fresh air here. The people are hospitable. The people are nice. And again, I'm loaded with this left coast uh, bias about what the southeast is like. So travel is necessary if you're going to open your eyes. And so I need to open my eyes about Texas. Immersion is, immersion is true education. Baptism, like immersing yourself, is true education. The education that we learn in schools is built off a concept of an assembly line. It's not efficient, and it, nor does it really work for everyone. But true education is immersing yourself in multiple cultures, people, thoughts, ideas, learning new things. It's just like you just got to take a bath in it. And so I agree with you. Travel is the only way to really know. And my doors are welcome. My, my door is open to you. And, uh, yeah, man, my idea for you and I is to go down to Big Ben and do some paddling and maybe find some new climbing off the water, and that's it. And I guarantee you, if you want some bloody knuckle stuff, I, we can bring it. Don't worry. <laughs> do not worry. I don't know. I don't we, know we, if we that's can, actually true. I'm, I'm, yeah, I mean, <laughs> listen, type two fun. You know my style, man. Type two fun all the way. I want to suffer, so I'm in. Let's do it. Describe type two uh, to my audience because I love it. Go for it. 
Uh, you know, it, it, it has evolved for me, but the best way I know how to describe Type 2 fun is think of the single-handedly most worst experience you have ever had in your life doing something that you chose to do, mind you, uh, and then when you get done with it and you take your first bite of food, you then immediately have that thought that says, ah, I would do that again, maybe. But through the midst of it all, you were suffering. You hated it. And think of like, like you know, your first ultra run or your first big wall or your first really doing anything that's like, you know, like when you leave, like the best way I know how to say it is for anybody who has skied, when you finally make the decision to get off the bunny slope and you're not going on the green, you're going to like you decide, screw green, I'm going to go straight to blue or black. Like, OK, it's real. But that's a big decision you have to make. And I think some people. You know, they want to plan those things out so nice and neat. And man, in my opinion, a trip is something when everything goes according to plan. An adventure is when things not that things can go awry, but you are self-sufficient. You're having a ball and it might be terrible in the moment, but you're still pushing through because the goal is obtainable. So so all in all, I know there's a rant, but all in all, type two fun is when the suffering no matter how much you suffer, the send always outweighs the suffer. And that is type two fun. <laughs> the send always outweighs the suffer. Words of wisdom by Mario Stanley. Thank you. <laughs> and it's adventure travel. I mean, it's adventure travel. It is a part of the game. Backcountry travel, adventure travel, access to the wilderness are a metaphor for life. Not everyone has the capability of using those metaphors. You've used climbing, you've, uh, I've used paddling. You were just talking about skiing on, on green circles to, to more advanced terrain. You, as a, as a person of color, do you have experiences where access to the backcountry has been more problematic than other people, like me, a white male? Do you have personal experiences while well, being black is a is it prohibits you from getting access to those metaphors of the backcountry? Let me first go ahead and say this. This is a complex issue for every individual person oh, of color, whether you're, you know, black, white, brown, yellow, whatever you classify yourself as, or whatever you choose to identify, your pronouns, whatever you identify with. It's a complex issue for in, every individual. So for for me who I identify as as he and him or black caribbean jamaican uh male and so in that small little sec of this category of intersectionality um i have been really blessed and privileged to know that like i've had a lot of friends and people look out with me so and also uh, so they let me put it this way so i've had a lot of friends look out for me and i have been in situations where people have been overtly racist to me but i have had so many white friends that have been so nice to me and people, uh, and I've met so many people in my travels. I mean, I lived in my van for a little bit. I traveled around. I've always made it a point to like travel locally in the surrounding states. Uh, and so that has kind of given me a blessing where I know how to handle people a little bit when I get a little bit of adversity. But I've also been in situations where friends have been like, hey, it's time to leave right now. I'm like, okay, cool. We're leaving right now. <laughs> and then, you know, they go on and they're like, they were not happy about you being in their store. And then I've also been in the situations where, I've been in the middle of Arkansas, uh, you know, out near a place called Sam's Throne, which is amazing rock climbing. Uh, Jeremy Collins was only one of the few, one of the developers of that. There's many other people, but much love to Jeremy. He's my man. Um, you know, 
that area is just small town Arkansas. When I say small town Arkansas, you're probably talking maybe 100 people, maybe 200 people in a town. And I've walked into mm-hmm. stores and little gift shops that have Confederate flags and everything else. And I'm joking and laughing with the people who probably have a very strong biased opinion against me. But at the same time, you know, they're overt, outward, you know, letting me know that I have a box that I need to stay in with them is easy for me to navigate. And so with mm-hmm. that being said, as far as dealing with people, um, it is. I've had my ups and downs. Definitely. I've had situations where I've had people call me boy. Uh, and you know, once I kind of talk to them a little bit, you know, if they call me boy again, I'll respond with cracker or whitey, but in a joking way, because mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. all, you know, I don't know, in my opinion, all super racist people love the funny black guy. Everybody loves Eddie Murphy. So, um, but, um, you know, and I've had those kind of situations, but I've been really blessed and really privileged that most places I've gone, I've had some really uh, good allies that are been really now, I would say, are comrades in my life. And, um, yeah, they've really helped me out and allowed me to have access to this to these places. So I personally have been lucky. And I'm also, you know, I'm also going to be honest here. I'm a little hard of hearing. So if someone's been an asshole to me, there's a good chance I just didn't hear it anyway. And so whatever. I don't really care. And I care more about rock climbing than I care about people. Like, I know that's really probably jacked up to say because I love human beings and I coach my kids and I love all my kids. But ultimately, if you give me the choice to choose rock climbing and with someone or just go rock climbing in general, I'm always going to choose climbing. So I don't really care. And is outdoor travel, including climbing, a part of your DNA? Have you always been focused on backcountry travel and activities? No. I, I mean, I'm a military brat. I was born in Germany. Um you know, my parents are both in the military. Uh, I think I was used to travel. I think I was used to being uprooted and moved around. I think that was a constant in my life. And so let's just say the mechanics of getting out and traveling around has always been in my DNA. Uh, but access to the wilderness? No. I mean, the first time I ever remember camping is going with my dad and my little brother when we were in Boy Scouts. And it wasn't bad, but it definitely wasn't great in any way, shape, or form. Uh, outdoor experience, uh, outdoors and backcountry stuff was not great until I started doing it on my own. And then that was like from climbing in Rymers to going to the Wichita's to climbing, you know, uh, the East face of Mount Whitney to just traveling everywhere, Mexico, Spain. Uh, it was, you know, I'd like to say I had this big, like wilderness nuance feel, but it wasn't really that I wanted to climb particular routes and in order for me to do those routes, I needed to have a necessary set of skills and operation and to be able to operate in the backcountry. And also I needed to learn the etiquette of being there because, like I said, I, I really wanted to climb the route. That's what I wanted to do. And so if the route requires me knowing how to move in the alpine or get on a paddle with you and float down a river and climb it, well, those are the skills I have to acquire. So for me, that's always what it's been. However, uh, it has made me fall in love with the outdoors and in traveling to these routes, I guess my the gift that the outdoors has given to me is I know where I'm trying to get to really well. And I've already done so much homework to know that, that I'm really able to smell the roses along the way. And I've mm-hmm. seen some very beautiful places. And I, every time I go somewhere new or I, I'm, I'm, I'm hunkered down on a route, 
always on the way then. I'm like, how in the world does this place exist and no one knows about it? Or these people or people mm-hmm. just aren't out here. And I'm really blessed. And I, I know that, you know, it's like, I don't know. The best way I know how to describe it is, is like if you've ever been at the top of a multi-pitch or let's say you've done the end of a river that, you know, very few people have done when you meet someone mm-hmm. who has that same experience, like the same view, the same thing. Like it's there, there's not that many people who have that. And I think sharing in those experiences with people and also enjoying the places and enjoying the journey to get to what I want to do has been the biggest gift that the outdoors has given to me and, and given to me. And that's why I care about it so much. It's a powerful experience to be essentially alone on that peak or at the end of the, the river or the, on, a, on a trail that has been a, a personal challenge for you. I mean, that's, that's what I love about the wilderness, and that's what it means for me is that, that, that isolated empowerment, that experience where because of your effort, you've, you've placed yourself there. But with this movement that's happening in the United States right now, uh, a reveal that there is still today in many ways uh, inequity between races, Black Lives Matter is reminding me that, geez, like I have to search my contact list to, to, to find people of color or different ethnicities that share the backcountry with me. And it doesn't matter if it's on a bike or on a, on a board or in a boat or on a climbing route. I'm feeling like, why am I not seeing people of different ethnicities generally in the places that I think are so emblematic to that individual power? Why are are people of color not there? So this, like I said, man, this is a complex thing. And like, honestly, you and I could do a podcast, a separate episode, literally just on what I'm about to say, because, and let me first go ahead and say this to your audience. I am not the foremost expert on blackness or anything (laughs) of like black, be black, be black, be black, be black, black, like Okay, like I'm not, but I'm going to go off of my black experience. I'm going to go off of what I understand and what I know to be my reality and the reality that I live in and see. Uh, And if anybody, I just, I I always like to throw this out there. And if anybody disagrees with me, I'm happy to always have a conversation with you. I believe intelligent discourse is the only way for all of us to be to a better world. But um, to answer your question I really think it boils down to about three things. It comes down to money, access, and time. The first one is money. Let's just be honest. You have to have money to do these things. It's not cheap to get there. Okay, so let's just start there. That is, and there is an obvious financial and income inequality gap between minorities, between uh, between whites and minorities, between women and men, between women, minorities and white males and white women. I mean, like there's, that's known. So the income inequality gap is the first thing. The second thing is, is when you have an income inequality gap, you have now your priorities are in different place. Like you're just not going to think about going outdoors when you have to think about having a roof over your head. Like, I don't like, I think, I don't think people understand like how much, like eat, think about kids that are homeless. They do terrible in school. And the moment you get this kid in a home, how many stories have you heard about this or Disney has made about this? The moment this kid gets a stable home, the next thing you know, they're a Nobel Prize winner. A stable system to live in is a fundamental human right. 
And the problem is, is when you don't have that, the outdoors is unaccessible. You need a car to be accessible in Texas. And I, where I grew up, you know, there was public transportation and there was, I could ride my bike basically everywhere. And that's not really a thing here in Texas. Everything is so spread out. So my personal opinion and you know, like it's, I think it's a little bit of socioeconomic. I think it's a little bit of like bad representation that this is available for people uh, of color. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, you know, because there's just, they don't see people that like them doing it. And also, dude, it's just a financial commitment. I mean, we're cheaper than a lot of gyms when you put dollar per dollar. Like, if the best bang for your buck, Summit, you can't beat it in the DFW area. Like, you just cannot beat it. Bang for your buck for a fitness center all around. I'm not just talking rock climbing gym. I'm talking fitness center with yoga, fitness, everything. It's sure. the best bang for your buck. However... And the community. And the community. Yeah, and the community, That's too. Emphasizing there. Yeah, 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 the community. But it is 85 bucks a month, and, you know, if you don't... If, you're a family or you live somewhere where you don't own a car then 85 bucks a month to splurge on something is a big deal if your family doesn't even own a, ve- a reliable vehicle like people i don't think people connect those two together and there are communities like that bam now moving on let's say you do have a stable system well there's no representation so you just don't know that it's there i mean you know it's it, it's just like facebook and instagram they dictate your news feed. Your news feed is dictated by what representation you have seen in your life, whether you're on the internet or not. If you see things in those in your life, let's say you do have a stable system. Well, there's no representation, so you just don't know that it's there. I mean, you know, it's it, it's just like Facebook and Instagram. They dictate your news feed. Your news feed is dictated by what representation you have seen in your life, whether you're on the internet or not. If you see things in those in your life and you see people that you know that look like you or bare minimum that you can relate to on a personal, emotional uh, and intellectual level. And that requires you having friendships with these people, whether they're white or black or anything. But you at least you got to cross that hurdle, you know, but mm-hmm. that's assuming that everybody's you know not an asshole and is willing to talk to you, which most people just want to adventure. They don't want to have conversations all day. We don't want to talk all day. We want to rock climb, you know. And so that's hard. Now you have to like build these relationships and you have to go where these people are or hopefully run into someone at a coffee shop and say, Oh, I do this. Oh, this is cool. Where can I find this information? Boom. That's the first thing. But if there was more representation and more people looked like people of color, black and Brown and more people uh, that were LBGTQ, everything, if there were more people there, then you would have more people out there. So let's just say that you are having, you know, representation and you do see people out there and then when you're finally out there you know that when all of those hurdles are crossed next thing that in my mind that i realize is an issue is now are the people who have existed in this space okay with me being here because the very first thing that i know and this is i get this all the time like you know um when i'm around a bunch of white people that do not know me and i show up to a crag you know, and I'll do the warm ups and they'll okay them up and they'll be like, okay, yeah, cool, cool, cool. And then I drop my bag in front of some five twelves or five thirteens. They look at me like they're like, Are you are you sure you're gonna about to do this? And I'm like, Well, I mean I'm gonna give it a burn. I might send, I might not. Some days I send, some days I don't. Everyone knows how rock climbing goes. A tremendous amount of failure for one glorious moment of success. And, you know, but you know, and I come down and I hear it all the time. People are like Man, you're you're strong. Wow, you really know how to pull those moves. Oh, you've been rock. You know how to rock climb. How long have you been climbing? And you know, I'm I'm pretty chill to it. I just assume that you know. I go on the assumption 
that everyone is an intermediate climber until I see them climb, but I assume that everyone is a competent climber. Like they know how to clean anchors. They know how to do all the basics. They know how to do all the fundamentals. So any interaction I should have with them should just be like, Hey, how are you? Who cool? Hey, do you know what route this is? Oh, cool. Do you know where this wall is? Like I, that's my world. Like I don't, I don't, when you're, when you throw your rope down at a wall, okay, that's the thing that you came here to do. Okay, cool. I don't care about it. Uh, rock climbing and I don't know if this is for true for paddling, but rock climbing is definitely an ego based sport. And I think that sometimes people judge you. So I think for people of color, that's some of the bullshit that they have to deal with when they finally are there. They're just not taken seriously. And I cannot begin to imagine what it is for women or women of color, like the amount of bullshit that they deal with. Um, but, you know, I think that's it. And so that's a big part of it. And then last but not least, I think you know, then you run into the small occasion, like, what do you do when someone doesn't want you there? And now you, if you have someone who, you know, has a problem calming the echo chamber, um, then they're going to think about that. And that might deter them from even going on the trip just to begin with. So, I mean, it's, it's a complex thing, man. It's not, it's like, I wish I could just answer it in this one little question, but I think if I'm going to like boil it all down to like, you know, to, to a simmer, um, just because you have the skills and necessary tools to do the activity, you still have to decide whether you give a fuck or not if you're welcomed. Mm-hmm. That's still just decision-making. And in the decision-making of any minorities, any minority or person of color or someone who feels who could, who could not belong in a, in a white male-dominated world, you know, I think then that's that is still a decision making going in there crossing their head, you know. I mean, you homeboys gonna easily fix that by just saying hello, giving people high fives and never making assumptions. And I love that about you. That's not the vibe I got from the vibe I got from you was that exactly. We were happy to meet, we were happy to chat, uh, you know, and you know, you are a professional in what you did. You gave me some great pointers and tools and tips because you could tell I hadn't been on a, on a stand-up paddle board for very long, even though you asked me. I remember that. You actually asked me. I was like, ah, I haven't done this too much, but I, I do have some experience with it. And, you know, and you were just being a professional guide and doing your job. And I think the thing is, is like people of color and everyone else just wants that same level of interaction. Like, you know, don't treat me any different. Just like, you know, if you're a professional, do what you do. If you're a professional you know, amateur climber. And this is like, you've been climbing for 40 years, but you've never done it for a living, but you would walk up to any one of your buddies or any one of your friends and be like, Hey, let's, let's, let's do this. Let's fix this. Or, Hey, this is a really great route. This you should do this thing. Um, but that's all I'm asking. I'm rambling. So I'll digress, but no, it's, it's, it's a perfect thing because I need to, to listen to it. And what, what I hear in my head, when I show up to a river and it's surrounded by hard shell kayakers, and I have my inflatable paddleboard and single blade paddle, you know, I, I get the, the stare down like, hey, you know, this is class three, just to let you know there are rapids there. Like, I'm, I'm definitely spoken down upon like, hey, I'm happy you're here, but you're probably not qualified to be here. I get that vibe all the time. But I can't, I'm, just having to, to feel like everywhere you go, whether it be on a, uh, at, a, at a climbing route or a grocery store, getting that sense that, hey, you're not qualified to be here is such, 
I'm so fortunate not that I that I don't have to experience that. And you seem like you're like, yeah, fuck it. I I'm, I'm I want to be here, so I'm going to be here. And if you don't like it, don't like it, and no no worries about it. So yeah, I mean, you have to be that way. If, in my opinion, like if it's more if it's that important to you, you have to be that way. You know. Oh, uh, so yeah. When you're instructing uh, a new generation of climber, whether they be kids or adults, you're showing them how to use their Grigory, their anchor devices. But do you also have to pull some of your students aside? Do you have to do that little talk of like, hey, there's, you, you have some more challenges here and you're going to overcome it with a personality? Do you have to do that like so many black parents teach their kids about when they're confronting police? Do you have the talk? If anyone is listening to this podcast in DFW or listening anywhere in the world, if you are a family of color and you have access to rock climb and, you know, you want to talk to me and we can have a real conversation about like what it is to get involved. I believe in building great human beings and by products, if they're hanging out with me, they will become great rock climbers. And my goal is to make you want to rock climb for a lifetime, not just a season. So I'm in the business of making disciples. And so my door is open when it comes to that. But I plan on probably having that conversation. I'll tell you what it happened. I'll, t- you know, we will, the day it happens, we'll recap. But I have imagined that conversation. And the only thing that I have, the only thing that I hope I can say, and I know this might sound very counterintuitive, but I think anyone, any person of color would understand this statement. But like, I hope all I have to say is I need you to try just as hard as every other person on your team here. Because this person has the accesses, this person has the resources, this person has all the things they need to be involved in this sport. But if they don't, then, you know, it is, it's up to me to have the hard truth and had hard conversation. Like, hey, I do need you to work harder. I know it's hard for you to get here on a regular basis. I'm well aware of that. And I have white students who are in that same boat. Let me just be very clear. Like, I, I without, you know, naming names, but... You know, well, actually, I can say one thing. I'll say their nicknames, but Hamilton, you know, she lives super far away. Her family's great family, super well off. Um, You know, they take care of themselves and they're they're good people. But she lives almost an hour, I think almost an hour away. And she commutes to practice one day a week. And we have the hard truth. We have the hard conversation of like, you know, real talk. This is what it is. This is what you need to do at home. This is what needs to happen in order for you to get better. So I think the big thing with it is, is, I want more kids of color. I want more people to be involved in this sport. And it's just, you know, it's something that I'm actively working on trying to figure out how to figure out uh, how to fix. And I have some plans and some ideas. So once again, if anybody's in Dallas is listening to this and you have access to resources or, uh, you know, whether your resources be monetary people, uh, you know, people in policy and influence around the city or whatever in DFW, you know, know, in this, in you like rock climbing, and you think you can fix the problem, my door is open to you. But, uh, yeah, so. And truly it is. I mean, you, I, what I do know about you and what I've seen consistently is you're very welcoming, you're very inviting, you're very encouraging, and you're, and you're really focused at that human level, regardless of, of what a person identifies themselves as. So I, I really honestly appreciate that, and that's and why I reached out to you to have this, this conversation, because I, I knew you'd be able to articulate uh, something that's fundamentally human and point out a couple of things like access you know it is it's a it's a financial inequity uh, you have to be <laughs> you have to be able to go into the back country and and not live 
many hours away. You have to have the vehicle to get there. You have to have the the funds that uh, are you know discretionary so that you could go do it. Not have to put food on my table or go rock climbing. Obviously, you're going to put food on your table. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to you as a business person, you own High Point Expeditions. I know COVID has been problematic. Uh, uh, when it rains, it pours. And last year, there was a lot of rain in Texas, which uh, canceled a lot of your trips. Uh, tell us a little bit about High Point and uh, the future of it. Uh, High Point Expeditions is the premier guiding company here in DFW. We teach clinics, classes. We do quite a bit of stuff like so anything from like if you want to learn how to build anchors, uh, if you want to prep for to take your single pitch um, with AMGA, if you want to just learn basics, if you want to sport climb, go bouldering, I mean, you name it, it pretty much in the world of rock climbing. Uh, we provide what is accessible within our community, which that is single ro- single pitch, a little bit of multi pitch in the Wichita's and uh, lots of bouldering. Uh, Don't do any alpine or anything courses like that. I can teach theory, and I go over the theory and the classes of that, and that's actually, it's probably some of our more bigger selling products, like just kind of understanding the principles that are involved in it. And what I like to do is teach theory and situational awareness. And so those are the two things that I go over a lot for those classes. But as a company, uh, yeah, that's who we are. Uh, it's been a rough kick in the teeth for the last two years. Um, we had some really good years in 2017 and 2018. The weather was awesome. Uh, you know, I think the economy was on a bounce back, you know. Um, and actually, now that I think about it, it was basically from 2000. 14 all the way up so those four years leading up you know the economy was on its way back up things were getting better things were going i was doing really really well uh and then 2019 happened and if you live in texas or live anywhere in the south you know it rained almost every freaking weekend i heard snow season it was like downhill skiing and the skiing was amazing (laughs) but you know you guys it's your gift from us down here who suffered for it but, um, yeah, business was just bad. I had to cancel a lot of trips, um, you know, and I, I, you know, I still pay my guys, uh, for a small portion of their day because, you know, you can't be a full-time guide here in Texas. So, you know, it's my guys take off work to do what they do. So I still pay them. Um, and, uh-huh. uh, we had to cancel quite a few trips, issue quite a few refunds and it really kind of bit, t- took a big toll on us. Right. At, at, and we had also done an expansion, of far as like our services that we can host. So it was kind of, it was just, wasn't really good. And there was nothing I could really do about it. Can't fight nature. And then, you know, COVID hit. And, you know, if anybody has ever watched zombie land, always double tap. And that's basically uh-huh. what COVID did, but we're, but we survived and we're rocking and rolling. Uh, I am currently getting ready to start offering bouldering trips. We're going to start offering uh, lead only trips. We're starting with youth trips only. We're going to start opening up to adults and clinics. Uh, there are some, you know, overall, uh, you know, I'll just be honest, you know, just as a minority owner, there's some hurdles I got to get through to make sure that we can be ready to roll and rock. Um, but those things, uh, yeah, those things are just rough to do. And I think also to not being someone who comes from a family. I come from a family, a lot of fa- family who are hard workers and we've always had a job and we've always kind of had like a side hustle. 
but being someone who's like running their own business for the first time, it's definitely been a huge, 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 huge learning curve. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, advice I have to anybody who's ever thinking about starting a business, find a business mentor. It helps out a lot. Uh, and then those are also people who can have some real talk with you. And that's basically where I'm at right now. I've had some people have some real talk and I've had to kind of make some decisions on like how to get my business going again. Are there any, is there anything in place that could help a minority run business? Uh, yeah, there is, but you know, let's just be honest. I think a lot of them are BS, you know, unless it's like grants or things like that. And also too, this kind of goes back to a point of principle is like, like for example, um, okay. Prime example. Did both your parents go to college? Quick question. No, um, I was raised by a single mom who had a high school education. Okay, so when you went to, uh, did you go to college yourself? Yes, graduated with a BA. I'd like it to call it. I'd like it to call it a BS because it's history and philosophy. That's my background. I'd like to call it BS, but it's a Bachelor of Art. Oh, dope, dope, <laughs> dude. We should talk. Oh, oh, dude. Oh, well, that's a whole other thing. But okay. Did your mother help you fill out your college application forms or did your guidance counselor? I'm just curious. Yeah, I don't recall that. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit older than you. That was, uh, that was in 91. <laughs> uh, probably a little bit of both. Okay, so point being is, is like when, you have, uh, when you have families that come from these kind of structures, you understand access to resources and tools. One of the big things is, is like you have guidance counselors ah, mm. filling out college applications for minority kids or families that have never been to college. And so they don't know what they're asking for. They don't know what to do. And I might sound like a little whiny baby here and I'm sorry if I do actually, no, I'm not sorry. You can go, you know, do that thing. <laughs> and you don't sound whiny, you, you know, sound like but you're, like you're the thing familiar is, is, with this and it's the suffer. Yeah. It's, it's, it is, it has been the suffer of just learning. I'm like, Oh, okay. This is what you learned. This is what you're doing. This is that. And it's like building the plane and flying it too. But I think, and so what I'm boiling all this down to is if you think of the first relief, that the current administration T45 put out um, that all that was gobbled up by massive corporations at first, like these big businesses and like, you know, small minority companies never even got a chance to get a slice of any kind of the relief. And I don't honestly know if virtually many of them did. Cause I know I applied for a few things, but ultimately my business just doesn't qualify. That's just how it works. You know, it's just like, you don't have enough of a track record. You don't have a banker. You don't have all these things. You don't have these things in play that, you know, because I think most people, who, you know, you either are a business person or you're like a contractor and you're just kind of running and gunning and you're doing your thing. And I think most people operate as a contractor. And I think in order, once you really start turning into a business professional, there's just things that unless you went to business school or unless you learned from someone else, or you had the privilege of seeing that as an example put in front of your life, you just, you're, you're learning as you're going. And so that's kind of my kind of struggle, I guess, my suffer with my business. My send is I don't really care. Ultimately, I started my business to make climbing more accessible for human beings to go outside and rock climb. And I like watching people get to the top of a route and send. And that's why I do it. And I will continue to do this business. And yeah, to the day I die. I mean, Put me in a wooden box and I'll be, and then I'm retired. With a legacy behind you, a legacy of walking the walk, of, of inspiring people who are humans, regardless of ethnicity, gender, 
uh, inspiring people to to follow your lead and follow your send because you're just a motivation. I mean, I expected for myself to teach history and philosophy at an academic later as, as an academic uh, professor. It sounds like you were in the, the track of, of leading people as a faith-based leader, uh, those those paths have, have modified for both of us, it sounds like, and, and our, our classroom or our, our sermon pulpit is, is rock and wilderness area. So we're both uh, very similar in those. And I, I enjoy being in that position of leadership. Yeah. We should lead a service one day. Just, you know, preach the gospel of climbing and, and pa- what is it? Preach, preach the gospel of the rock and the river. There you go. I'm into it. And that's essentially why I started this podcast, to reach out to people and, and not necessarily for me just to preach, but to, to hear the word of others. And you've started a podcast too. And I'm going to link in the, in the episode notes your website. Will we be able to find your podcast from your website? Yeah, we're on Spotify. I'm on all the things. Uh, but in all honesty, if you really want to find me, the best way to do it is Instagram. Uh, you can go to MR Stan. That's me. You can go to High Point Expeditions. Uh, and then you can go to sends and suffers and then each one of those have links that lead to the appropriate place. Uh, they basically pretty soon they will all be, uh, mariostanley.com. If anybody wants to reach out to me, they go to mariostanley.com. I'm going to have a tab there for my guiding services. As far as where my podcast is hosted yet, it's, it's Spotify on anchor, wherever you can find your favorite podcast apps. Yeah, we're there. We're there. We're on all the things. And as we're about to wrap up, I'm going to ask one question. It's a difficult question that I ask myself every day. How do people climb out of dark times to reach that summit? Using the climbing metaphor, what's your word of advice to keep your head up and, and, and march on, young man? Focus on the process, never the goal. The goal is irrelevant. You will achieve the goal by the sheer nature of doing the process. The goal is only a byproduct. And I think that people don't really think about that that much. They get so wrapped up in the exposure, the white water, the sounds of the river, the sounds of everything around you. But in all honesty, let's just be real, real here, like real talk, just for a few seconds. If you have trained for this event, you have done your homework, you have studied the things that you need to study and you have practiced and you have then gotten seeked out peer review from either professionals or people that you trust, you have most likely acquired the necessary skills to do the tasks that you need. What you need to do is just focus on the process, never the goal, and then you will slam dunk every single time. It's a little, I'm not, I'm not going to say it's not scary. No one said that. It's supposed to be. If it wasn't, then everybody would do it. So, yeah, that's my thing. So if you're if you're a person who's having a hard time trying to, you know, send a route, send anything else like that, um, you know, if it's anything outdoors, that was it. Uh, if you're climbing out of something po- emotional and personal and dark, um, it's the same thing. But the process also needs to be communicating and talking with people that you trust whether that be a professional, whether that be a therapist or a professional, or whether that be just a friend of yours or something else. But ultimately, if we stay, if we stay fast and hold fast, you know, you'll get out, you'll, you'll get to where you need to go. You'll send. The gospel according to Mario Stanley, the backcountry gospel of the rock. And I really want that, that message right there. I mean, that's climbing, that's paddling, that's backcountry travel, but that's also 
saying the process is on the street to make our voices be heard and and the 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 process itself is 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 raising that fist and saying my life and my friend's life and my community life matters take note Black Lives Matter. Um, I'm not going to hold back on that in any way, shape, or form. And people are still dying. People are still protesting. I know the media isn't showing it as much, but it's happening. Uh, and if anybody doesn't believe it, I challenge you to the rule. My rule of thumb is look up five different resources. Two of them have, two or three of them have to be international. And then if it's the, and if everybody's reporting on it, then it's still happening, and it should still matter to you if it ever mattered at all. Thank you. That, oh, sir, sir. Words to chew on and word, I mean, thank you so much. That's fantastic. We're going to end it on that voice because I want my audience now to go research through multiple news outlets, not just their Facebook and Instagram, not just their, their, their small community of like-minded voices, but reach out to know what's happening in any topic. Thank you, good sir. That's the podcast. I look forward to listening to yours. And uh, and let's make uh, a paddle climb, suffer fest, uh, mind-opening experience together. Thank you, sir. Hopefully you have a great day. Thank you for taking the time out. And yeah, let's talk soon. All right, we will. <laughs>